welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Hello, everybody. My name is Bruce. If we haven't met, I'm the uh, finance chair of the pastoral advisory team. And a lot of you may have seen the email yesterday that came out talking about the fundraising event we were having tonight and Wednesday. Um, based on the events that have happened in sort of the last week and two weeks, we've decided to postpone the fundraising events because we still do not have a signed lease document in hand. The good news, if there is good news, um, is that the CFO of the Archdiocese now does have a copy of all of our financial information, a copy of the lease, and is reviewing it. He's disseminated that information to the finance uh, team of the Archdiocese of St. Paul. And like we've said from the beginning, this is a really complicated process of a lot of different layers that have, that have sort of transpired in the last week. We initially scheduled these meetings because we thought we would have a, a secured lease at this time. It would give us enough time by the end of the year to essentially, you know, be able to talk about the hopes and dreams of this place. But um, while we, we certainly know it's an inconvenience to, to reschedule this Sunday and Wednesday, our fear was introducing this place to everybody and, and um, essentially, you know, giving everybody another chance to become emotionally attached to something that ultimately may not happen. Um, we are, I, w- I would call 90 to 95% confident that it's still going to go through, but in the event of... Um, it not going through. We didn't want to, um, to, I guess, for lack of a better word, crush everyone's dreams. So, um, <laughs> so that's where we're at. Um, if you have specific questions, that was a terrible way to word that. <laughs> if you have specific questions, uh, Corky and myself, I don't know where Corky is. He was back there. Um, we're going to be here at the end of the gathering, and we'll, we'll stand up front here. If you have questions, come on up. We can talk about everything that's happened. Uh, but for the interest of time, we just wanted to be transparent and, and let you know that that's all happening. So, Keep praying. Uh, and I'm supposed to say, that's right, coffee's over here. If you guys all want to greet one another, um, we're going to continue our worshiping after that. So thanks. Hello, hello. This works now, so now I don't have to yell at you all. Um, I was asked to introduce today's uh, speaker. Because Micah has once again left us for greener pastors. I'm just kidding. He's, he's preaching at a friend's church again. So um, today I am here to introduce Jenna. Uh, Jenna has been here much longer than I have, but we thought it would be um, nice just to speak some words about her just before she comes up. Um, many of you know her probably for the work that she does with the youth. Um, she leads the youth groups here and uh, serves on the core team. But any of you that really, really know Jenna, you just know her as Jenna. Any, any other better way to say it? Um, for those of you who were at the retreat, you understand. You, you, know, you know what's up, and any of you have been on Facebook or maybe seen it. Um, she's not afraid to put herself out there. She, and the reason that she does it isn't for attention. The reason she does it isn't to get, garner some sort of praise, but she does it because of the joy that she has in her life, and that's what she brings to everybody else. Anywhere she, where she is, that's where life is. She brings that to everybody, and she also brings definitely a sense of uh, a sense of wisdom that that goes alongside that life as well. So, we look forward to hearing what she has to say today, and introducing Jenna. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> like you said, my name is Jenna. I'm best known for my dance. <laughs> I um, 
it's actually kind of funny because I so I grew up dancing and I it is not the first time that I have prepared a dance like that before in that windsuit no less um really that is the gift that keeps on giving that windsuit <laughs> um I will tell you so Honestly, and maybe this is like a rookie move on my part, but I genuinely was not re expecting that much attention. So thank you everyone for appreciating <laughs> me. I will tell you a funny story about it though. I um, I made it up like the Friday before the retreat and I'm in my bedroom like choreographing this, like the five, six, seven, eight, and one, two. And I go downstairs and my mom is home and she's like, I'm like, mom, I apparently channeled my inner six-year-old. I'm like, mom, you got to see this dance that I made. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's what you're doing up there. <laughs> she can hear my pounding. <laughs> and I got about a quarter of the way through and I immediately stopped because she just kept yelling, cute, cute, Jen. <laughs> no, mom, it's not cute. <laughs> so anyways, there's that for you. <laughs> um, Moses, uh, we are <laughs> still in Exodus this morning, so if you have your Bibles, I am preaching this morning out of chapter 15, um, verses 22, so if you are able, stand and we'll read the word. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Morah, they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Morah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Let's pray. Abba, here we are. Here you are. Maybe we'd be fully present to that. Speak to us. Amen. You can have a seat. So where are we this morning and where have we been? So I recognize that the Exodus story for many of us, especially if you've grown up in church, especially if you've been following the series, is a very familiar story. But in order to kind of feel the weight of where we are this morning, it's beneficial to uh, narrate the entire Exodus story. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so Exodus starts, these are the names. You remember that very first sermon Micah gave about the names. And it actually starts with 12, descend 12 sons of Jacob, 70 descendants of Jacob, which is important. Keep that in the back of your mind because we'll come back to it. So Genesis ends with Joseph, the reign of Joseph in Egypt. And as we get into Exodus, it starts with that, and it says that the generation passed away, and Pharaoh came into, I guess, ruling, and he knew nothing of Joseph. 
Okay? So, he enslaves them. He oppresses them because the Hebrew people are a multitude. And it says that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied. Okay? So, his solution is to kill the sons. <laughs> Great. Because when you kill the sons, that means you stop the people. Because the line is carried through the sons. Enter Moses. Moses, instead of being thrown into the river Nile to die, he's put into an ark. He's drawn out of the water by Pharaoh's daughter, grows up in Pharaoh's household, has this identity crisis of a moment where he sees a Hebrew person being beaten, kills the Egyptian who does it, flees to Midian, finds a nice lady and settles down with her, has this burning bush moment. He's called to go to Pharaoh, Say, let my people go. And all this time, while Moses is in Midian, it says that the people were groaning and crying out to Yahweh to be freed. And the text says, and God heard them. So Moses, Aaron, go to Pharaoh. And this is what they say. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. So they're saying... The reason we want to be freed is so that we can wander in the wilderness for three days. So, finally, Pharaoh, you have the plagues and the hardening of his heart, and he finally lets them go. And what Chris talked about, um, I guess a few weeks ago, is this moment when they're finally at the Red Sea. They're standing there on the precipice of their freedom, and they turn around, and behind them is the Egyptian army pursuing them. So they freak out, naturally. Moses, why did you bring us out here to die? Moses cries out to Yahweh. And then you have the giant Charlton Heston moment and the splitting and the staff and the Red Sea and they see dry ground and they cross over. And so these crossing over moments we've talked about where you see this in scripture over and over again where people cross over and it's essentially to say, here's your invitation to leave behind what you were and to step into what is. And for the Israelites, it's leaving behind an identity of slavery and stepping into the identity as a people of God. Then they cross over and they party. There is in uh, 15, like right before our passage, there's this giant celebration. There's this poem that's just triumph and victory. Um, Miriam <laughs> brings out her timbrel and is dancing. I have no idea what a timbrel is. <laughs> They're celebrating. They say in verse 31, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Party. And then we get to where we are today. Marah. Okay? So what I'm going to do here is just to kind of lift us above the narrative and explore some of the emotions that are maybe behind this. And what I want you to do is I want you to find yourself in it. So phrases, words that you connect with, I want you to pay attention to that. So feel free to close your eyes or get comfortable. Oppression, bondage, slavery, crying out to Yahweh, yearning for deliverance, aching to be free, hope that it might actually happen, anticipation for the fulfillment of promise an invitation to cross over, 
to step into it, you turn, you look behind you. Fear, doubt, your haunting past. You look forward to see dry ground. You step out, faith, trust. Deliverance has happened. What you were promised was given. What you wanted for is in your hands. What you've been told about God all this time is actually true. Assurance, rejoicing, freedom, praise, belief, celebration, bitterness. Bitterness. You heard me. That's what Maram means. And if you've been around Awaken enough, you know that in the text, names mean something, places mean something. Mara is bitter. So the Israelites and Moses are wandering in the wilderness for three days. Does this sound familiar? Remember how that was <laughs> the whole reason why they wanted to be freed? To wander in the wilderness for three days? Fifteen times from chapter 3 to 10, this moment is referenced. Fifteen times. Every time they approach Pharaoh, it is so that they can go and worship. It's so that they can wander in the wilderness. And they're finally here. The whole point of it all. And it says this in the text. They couldn't find water, which means what? They're thirsty. It means quite literally they could die. And they come to water, and it's bitter. So why is this significant? Two things, thirst, bitterness. In the Hebrew tradition, when you see in the text thirst or hunger or a need for nourishment, it goes beyond physical, and it usually is a reflection of a spiritual thirst, a spiritual hunger. They're hungering for Yahweh. They want God. And so they finally come to water, and it's bitter. And what I think is being expressed here is the states of their hearts. They are bitter people. People who have just been dramatically saved, got what they asked for, and all of a sudden, they're grumbling. <laughs> they turned against Moses, where a chapter before, they said, we trust you, we know that you are God's servant. So let's think about this. This is three days after they've been delivered. This is three days after they've been brought out of slavery. Three days after their oppressors are no longer a threat. Three days after God saves them. Three days after slavery no longer defines them. I want you to go there for yourself. When what you believed about God proved to be true, when God did something amazing in your life, when you were freed, when you saw something different, when there was a moment of healing or calling that you had ached for for so long, and it's in your hands. Now what? Where do you go from there? The buzz lasts for a while. The excitement stays. And then all of a sudden you find yourself back in patterns 
struggling, not feeling heard by God, it changed. That intimacy that you had with God, where it was like God was on your skin, you don't feel that anymore. What happened? Why is it different? Sometimes we ask the question, where are you, God? Maybe you're a little bitter. So that brings us to the question, why did God act that way? Why did God do that for them? Why did God do that for you? And the text tells us, love it when that happens, when it's in there. It was so that the Israelites could give their hearts to Yahweh and worship. Last week we talked about worship, and in my mind, Micah nailed it. I'm in seminary, and we talk about this stuff all the time to the point where it gets a little old, to be honest. <laughs> and that was the most refreshing way I have heard worship talked about in so long. So where Micah was preaching out of was after wandering in the wilderness. It was after the giving of the law. And all God said was, all I want you to do is to push some earth together and place what you value on top of it to give that to me. The earth that I made, push it together and put on top what you ascribe worth and value to. No fancy altars. All I want is you. Stripped bare. And so if you look at the Israelites here, as people who are enslaved and oppressed and in bondage, and they were in a system that prevents them from doing that, worshiping, God frees them so they can. They asked for it. Here's the tricky part. When something is removed, whether that be an act of God, whether you lay something down, there's empty space now. And what do we do as humans? You fill it. You find something to take its place. You find something that's going to meet the need. You find something that's going to fill the void. Why do you think there are rebound relationships, for heaven's sake? That's a thing. <laughs> and I think the Israelites here, they've just been removed from the system in which they've defined themselves, torn from that. It was what they asked for, and they're here, and they're thirsty, and they're bitter. What are we going to drink? What are we going to do? Who are we going to be without that? And so Moses does what he knows how, and he cries out to Yahweh. And it says that Yahweh shows him a piece of wood that he puts in the bitter water, and it makes it sweet. And the fascinating thing about that word, yara, so in, in Hebrew, and I'm not doing this to show up, but it's really cool. Hebrew, when a word shares a root, they are related. It goes together. And so yara shares a root with a very important Hebrew word, Torah. Law. I think for us Christians, and Micah mentioned this last week, law is kind of like a, like a dirty word for us because it's enslavement, it's legalism. The reality is, is that law, a better translation, is way or instruction, and it was the revelation of God. It was salvation. It was giving the Israelites a way to be. 
something to hold on to. And so this word, it's almost like it's foreshadowing here because this is before the law has even come. And it's like, let me give you something to hold on to in the meantime here. It says that the Lord tests them. And all throughout scripture, we see tests. In our lives, we see tests. Um, For me, I hate that because test means I can fail. (laughs) And I'm a perfectionist. So that word has always, like, um, rubbed me the wrong way. Um, What has been helpful for me, if any of you maybe experience that, um, all a test is is this question. What is in your heart? What is in your heart? And so where we are is what I'm calling a hinge text. So on this side, you have this deliverance. You have this mighty act of God where he frees them and delivers them. And on this side of the text, you have wandering. You have wilderness. And what do we know about the wilderness? It's the place where you are stripped of yourself and God speaks. They wander in the wilderness. God speaks with the law. And we are right in between. Right in between. So I would ask you the question, what is in your heart? What were you freed for? And what are you going to pick up in its place? And the gorgeous thing here is that God tells them. He says, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought to the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. He outlines it for them. I want you to see me. I want you to pay attention to me. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me. This is who I want you to be. Meaning that the things that I give you to define yourself, they are going to heal you. I am the one who heals you. The slavery complex that you're going to be working through for a while, I am your healer. You will be better. You will be whole. You will experience shalom, peace. Let me define you. And the interesting thing is that this is a conditional clause. If then. If you listen to me, if this, then, you know, good things happen or whatever. Which means that the opposite can be true in this text. That if you don't, Egypt will come on you. Which is kind of a weird thing to think about. So the question is, what are the diseases of Egypt? In the very first sermon... We talked about Egypt. Egypt is the place of constraint, a place of confinement, literally meaning the narrow place. It's oppression, it's bondage, and it's saying that if you go back there, it's going to hurt. It will affect you the way you define yourself. It will be the end of you. You have to pick up something else. So this week, um, (laughs) I had a very, I had a person who was, I guess, formerly very significant in my life, talked to me for the first time after a year of not talking to me. And don't get me wrong, I still care about this person. I still love them. 
but we all have those people where it's like they step into your life and it goes toxic real quick. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I guess not. <laughs> I just can't be in relationship with this person. And they came up to me and they said four sentences to me. And it was great. It was like nothing serious. It was just a funny story. I really appreciated it. It was really nice. And I was wrecked. All week, I was a mess. Does anybody watch um, Parks and Rec? Nice. <laughs> Ron Swanson and the Tammy is that. <laughs> it's just like those people who like turn you into this totally different human being and <laughs> you just, it's awful. And so all of a sudden, I'm thinking things like, oh, you know, I should um, just probably email and, and say, hey, thank you just for stopping by. And this thing happened the other week that really reminded me of you. So we're friends now. No. 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 That was not your invitation to go back. Don't go back. It will ruin you. Hold on to me and what I say about you. What you've worked so hard to define yourself, my words, hold on to those. They will heal you. Don't go back. That was my test. What is in your heart? You got. So my favorite part then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees in their camp there near the water. So 12 and 70, numbers mean something. When I say 9-11, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So in the Exodus narrative, 12 and 70, way back to chapter 1, 12 sons of Jacob, 70 descendants of Jacob, going into Egypt. This was before they were enslaved. This is before they were oppressed. This was a time of shalom, peace, and wholeness. Before they were enslaved. So the Hebrew people came to Elam, this oasis, with 12 springs, 70 trees, water and shade in the desert, an oasis. Their thirst is being quenched. I would say physically and spiritually. And 12 and 70 throws them right back to chapter 1. So it is as if God is saying, I'm bringing you back to where you were before you were lost. Let me remind you. Let me prepare you because you are about to wander. Thirst and hunger is about to be your new normal. That doesn't change what happened. Who I was to you in that moment when I freed you is still true, but my face looks different now. We're going into a different place. And the reality is that when we are in the oasis, what's the temptation? Stay. To stay. Where you know your needs are going to be met, where you know you're not going to be thirsty or hungry, where it's predictable, where you know what's coming. But God moves. And his name proves to be true. I will be what I will be. The moving God. 
closing this morning, I want to acknowledge that uh, many of us come here different. I was struck, I guess, earlier this week um, with the thought that what I'm saying and what I said today operates under the assumption that at some point in your life, you have experienced God's movement and involvement, saving in your life. And maybe that's not true for some of you here. And maybe today is that step, that crossing over moment where for the first time you relate to God in a way where you are loved, where you step into that, where you are told who you, who you are, what you were created for. Maybe you are bitter this morning. May your thirst be quenched. Maybe you come rejoicing. May you remember that in dry times, maybe things are dead all around you. May you know that life comes from death in Christ. Maybe you are being redefined right now. May God give you something to pick up. I'm going to invite John Mark and the band up um, to continue to lead us in worship this morning. Pray with me. Father, you are the giver of all good things. In you there is no darkness or shifting shadows. Thank you that that is true of you. Help us to know that deeply. I ask that those places that need to be touched in our lives, that you would do that. The encouragement that we need to keep going, that you would provide that. We trust that you are who you say you are. In your name we pray. Amen. It is hard to be redefined. It is hard to be bitter. It is hard to move. And when I'm brought to you over and over and over again, is trust. Trust that God is who he says he is. So as we close this morning, we're going to sing the doxology together. Words of worship to a God who loves us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Grace and peace, friends. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com. 
backslash Awaken Community. Or on Twitter, Awaken Community. See you next time.